Thank you so much for listening to Breadwinning Mums. We really appreciate your continued support over the last year, and we're happy to announce that we have published the Breadwinning Mums book. Yay! This book is based on the conversations from the Breadwinning Mums season one episodes. It highlights the candid journeys of each mums, as well as a golden nugget of wisdom from their life's lessons. Now is the perfect time to give the gift of the Breadwinning Mums book to the special mums in your life or to yourself. No matter where you are in life, I'm sure the practical tips within the Breadwinning Mums book will help you take your lives just a little bit further. Limited copies available, so order yours now at breadwinningmums.com. That's breadwinningmums.com. Coming up next on the Breadwinning Mums. I think all of us muster more strength and skill than we can ever <laughs> imagine. Yeah. Yeah, we're capable of much more than what we can imagine, but it's just like looking past that bubble of anxiety or whatever is worrying you and just go, let's just take it one step at a time whether it be fitting in the big things first and letting the rest sort out itself one step at a time and you'll get through it. Welcome to the show. I'm Jane Lim. On the Breadwinning Mums podcast, we debunk the myths of working mums, cheer each other on, and show the world that it's okay to be a mum and still pursue excellence in your chosen area of expertise. Today we're chatting with Jessica Wong Saunderson, a fellow breadwinning mum with one son and another on the way. Jessica is a co-founder of Mumble Me and an M&A tax and international tax advisor. She shared with us her journey of moving to Australia from Hong Kong, highlighted the importance of fitting in first the important things in your life's jar, and explained how her faith helped her overcome life's big challenges through practicing continuous surrender. Here we go with Jessica Wong Saunderson. Hello, Jessica. Hi, Jane. Nice to see you. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? Feeling good. Um, a couple of days to Christmas. Just gotten mm-hmm. over my first bout of COVID ever. Um, and so I'm, I'm glad that I've recovered in time um, to spend some quality time with family for Christmas. Yeah. And for the podcast, thank you so much for taking a sliver out of your time. I know that you're a very busy, busy person. 
Um, for most of us uh, listening, would you mind telling us a little bit more about yourself, where you started from and how you came to be where you are? Yeah, sure. Well, that, that's a really big question. Um, I guess I'll start from my personal background. So my name is Jessica Wong Saunderson. Friends call me Jess. Um, I am currently based in Sydney, Australia, um, but I was born in Hong Kong um, and lived most of my life in Melbourne, Australia. So I grew up in Melbourne throughout primary school, high school, university. Um, I studied commerce law um, at Monash University, um, went into the working world, um, about 15, 16 years ago as as, um, as a tax lawyer and accountant um, and because of my Chinese um, cultural upbringing, I was the typical, I would say the typical good girl who, you know, did my, you know, did well in my studies and then after graduation it was about, you know, going into the world of accounting and law um, and tax was the best way to combine the legal and the accounting skills. But yeah, so 15, 16 years in the corporate world since then, um, working in the big four accounting firms. My current focus is in mergers and acquisitions tax. So I advise multinationals and private equity investors with their Australian um, investments from a tax perspective. Um, and I've been lucky enough to work in New York, um, in Kolkata, India, um, as well as in Melbourne and Sydney um, with, with my um, employer. And so um, it's something that is a pretty demanding day job. Um, and, um, but I do enjoy it. And then besides from that, I, yeah, so as I mentioned, you know, grew up um, in a Chinese household. So I speak Cantonese and a little bit of Mandarin. Um, family is all based in Melbourne, but my husband and I decided to move to Sydney um, five or six years ago after our New York stint. Um, and yeah, love the, love being in um, near the Sydney Harbour um, and um, my husband always jokes that you know if we wanted to move anywhere else he'll have to drain the harbour um, and move it um, so that I would go somewhere with else you. but with <laughs> with us so um, and besides from that I'm a mum of a two-year-old toddler um, and another little bit baby on the way early next year so um, I live yeah quite a full life um, and yeah just I'm the sort of person that love doing a lot of things um, and, you know, using my skills um, to contribute to the community. Um, hopefully that's a good starting little intro um, to, yeah. to, to get us started. Yeah, thank you. What a journey you've had. Wow. Um, how old were you when you moved from Hong Kong to Australia? Yeah, it was primary school grade three or four, so maybe like eight or oh, nine. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so I still remember, you know, growing up in you know kindergarten in Hong Kong and having you know 10 lots of homework <laughs> um yeah that, that you would do like it, it's a very yeah, different day. um education yeah. system so um yeah yes yeah, I still have really strong roots um in in terms of my um Chinese upbringing and and mm. my values and we still my family still goes back to Hong Kong every year or two we've got relatives there um mm. so yeah yeah what brought your family over from Hong Kong uh, it was mainly, um, I mean, it was probably like before the Chinese, like the handover to China. Um, uh, but yeah. my dad also had an opportunity to do his MBA um, at Monash University um, back in the day. So, yeah, he just 
we'd move the family um, mm. of four, myself and my sister and my parents. Um, mm. So we came and um, initially we actually went to Sydney for four months and then it didn't work out in terms of um, whatever dad was doing in terms of his um, employment. And he was actually in a pretty senior um, role at a big multinational in Hong Kong. And so they wanted him back. So after four months of Sydney, we went back to Hong Kong for like a year or two. I was about grade one at the point at that point. And then mm. again, um, the family moved when I was grade three or grade four, but that time oh. to, to Melbourne. Um, yeah. And I think the reason why we ended up in Melbourne was just because dad had, dad did his university in Canada and, um, and had a friend that moved from Canada to Australia anyway. So long story short, um, yeah. because of that family friend, we stayed with them when we landed in Melbourne and um, yeah, kind of got plugged into the, um, to the Chinese Australian community in Melbourne. Um, and yeah. that's where I grew up um, and went to, you know, primary school, a small local primary school, um, high school, um, and yeah, just grew and thrived um, in that in that environment. So I'm a proud um, Australian Chinese person. I'm proud of the the two identities um, mm. um, that are close to to my heart, and um, I love having the best of both Aussie culture um, and Chinese culture. Yeah. That's awesome. I moved here from Indonesia when I was 12. And I think my brother was the same age as you were, although he moved a year after I did. Uh, but the difference was my parents still was right. They were still running their own business back in Indonesia. So we were actually apart from each other for a while. How was the whole transition for you when you first moved to Sydney four months, went back, went back to school and then moved again? How was all of those transition for you? Yeah, I would say the grade one one, like I'm probably, I was too young to, to really remember. Um, but, you know, the grade three, grade four, I remember really distinctly that, I mean, I, I in, in Hong Kong, I went to a really good primary school that taught English, mm. but then the level, my English competency level was still pretty basic. It was as, it was like to the limit of like, you know, it is a dog, Spot is a dog, you know, she yeah. is a girl or like it's very yeah. basic. And yeah. I remember just how difficult it was going into first day of primary school, grade four, mm. this little mm. local Catholic primary school um, in, um, in Melbourne. And just, you know, there was, I remember like, you know, the, the teacher put me next to the only other Asian faced person there, which is yeah. um, a girl from a Malaysian background. And that girl didn't, I think, you know, really want to hang out with me. Um, she's sort of like, who's this new girl? Um, and then like other kids, like I remember there was this really friendly girl called Vanessa that came up to me, but she spoke so fast mm. in English that I just mm. couldn't, I think, all, I think all she was asking in hindsight, she was probably just going, would you like to hang out with us? at yeah. recess or playtime yeah. or whatever but yeah. I would have not understood that and so yeah. it was really daunting um and I mean I tell stories of how you know in primary school there was a little bit of like bullying and like you know not like not targeted just to me it was just you know there's going to be bullies in in um in every school setting and like you know but I was you know kind of victim to to some of the, um, some of that um and also there was this sense of like it was really hard to adjust and there was this sense of like, well, I, I didn't, like I had this identity crisis. Like I remember saying to my parents, I'm not Chinese, I'm Aussie. Um, yeah. Because that yeah. was my internal kind of yeah. fight 
to go, I yeah. belong here because yeah. I didn't know how to, to feel that sense of belonging um, and being excluded from, for example, like party invitations and that kind of stuff. And um, it, it's funny. Like, I mean, it's funny now, but back then it wouldn't have been funny. I, I think I wrote like a little um, letter to this girl that didn't, in, didn't invite me to her party, whereas like everyone else was invited. Um, and I think mm. they used the word hate, like, you know, I hate you. Mm. And I wouldn't have really understood like in primary yeah. school, like you're eight or yeah. nine. Um, I th- yeah, like I wouldn't have really understood the word hate, but I think my parents were called in. Oh. Um, and so um, they t- because, you know, they, the yeah. teacher had to do something about the fact that this kid's written this thing going, I hate you or whatever. Um, yeah. So I like in hindsight, I kind of go, oh, my gosh, like I wonder what my parents thought of and went through, like now that I'm a parent and, you know, my yeah. kids, my kids only two at the moment. Um, but, you know, when I think about, well, you know, what's he going through when he interacts with other kids at daycare? Does he feel included? Does he feel a sense of belonging or does he feel excluded? Mm. And you worry about all that stuff. So my mum mm. and dad must have, you know, had a bit of heartache back then because mm. I was, as I said, like, you know, always grew up as this with the very conservative Chinese values, um, very kind of academically driven. So you know, I was the good girl. <laughs> I was always the mm. polite person. That was how I was brought up. And mm. so then to suddenly be brought into um, the teacher's office or the principal's office because of this incident, like it's kind of mm. interesting. I haven't really asked my parents about it since. Mm. But um, yeah, so those, some of, so those were some of the early memories. So that sense of like identity crisis, I'm an Aussie, I'm not Chinese. Yeah. And that, I think that, that carried through with me to my teenage years um but I was lucky enough to get into a really good school in year nine it's a selective girls school in Melbourne called McRobertson Girls High School um which um yeah so single sex girls only from year nine to twelve um and you you know sit an exam to get in and I think I, I really started to come out of my shell and thrive from that point and that was when I got involved in extracurricular activities like in debating and music and choir and mm, um, mm. lots of different things and did, like school leadership stuff and I think my true nature in terms of the way that I love to lead things and organize things really came out so I guess yeah like so when you think back well migrated when I was about grade four and then by the time some years later year nine that like it took a bit of time to really settle in and I guess like with all teenagers though you go through those years you go through a bit of like rebellious years as well you know you dye your hair and do all this stuff and push the boundaries a little bit um although again I was a pretty um, by the rules type of person and conservative <laughs> okay. upbringing so like even my pushing the boundaries was not really anything like yeah. you know I think the worst thing I did was like I dyed my hair orange or something um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah so so yeah like those years um, now in hindsight you know those are formative years but I can remember how there was just a lot of like identity crisis that mm. was working through um, and mm. probably I probably didn't finish working through them, um, you know, until sort of university in my 20s or even beyond. Right. So, mm. um, yeah. Anyway. Interesting. Did you do you have any siblings? Yeah. So sister, she's um, two and a half years younger. Um, OK. And so she. Um, yeah. Like, you know, our, our personalities are probably. I, don't, I mean, our personalities are different in that she is the creative one in the family um, mm. and me being the older sister. It's interesting, like when, I, when we were younger um, in grade one in Hong Kong, um, I used to like hang out with her friends, but then I used to like yell at them. 
like some of the early memories is like because I was like the bossy boots yeah. older yeah. sister um, yeah. and she used to like you know really look up to me as the older sister but of course yeah. over time um, you know in our household particularly with my toddler we joke about who's the boss um, yeah. and we'll be like um, so he calls my sister Yaya which is actually in Cantonese um, the word is yi yi, which means like auntie, young, like yeah. auntie who is mom's, younger than your mum's sister. Yeah. But yeah. he says yaya. So we'll be mm. like, you know, mummy's the boss or is yaya the boss? And so like now, like everyone's well established that my sister is, well, she thinks she's the <laughs> boss of the whole family. But um, <laughs> but yeah, but what my point is like, you know, growing up, she really looked up to me um, and we're, we've always been really close. We still are really close. Um, when we, uh, when I, um, moved to New York for a couple of years she moved to Hong Kong well, actually she was already mm. in Hong Kong she was living there for six or seven years and mm. so then um when I when my husband and I moved to New York then she came back to Australia to um to to be with mum and dad um which is really good of her and so now she's still yeah like she's now still in Melbourne um and yeah, like, I mean, I would like to take credit for the fact that she's become a foodie and um, she's one of those people that um, always gets into the best restaurants and, um, you know, all that, like, somehow the chefs at the Japanese omakase restaurants will message her on Instagram or if she messages them on Instagram, she's able to get, like, a special table or special booking that yeah. other people can't. Yeah. And I'm just like, hey, I was the one that started being a foodie back in the day. <laughs> but anyway, no, so, like, yeah, so we love each other. We're really close and she's a great auntie um to to um my son Abraham so nice okay and so growing up looking back do you think that she experienced the same identity crisis or did she take it on a little bit more because she was younger by then I mean we never really talked about it um in that Hmm. way and I think she her friendship groups were different it's interesting um so when I think about the way like so I'm someone that like I have a few really close friends, but then I'm all, I also have a lot, like a big group of sort of broader friends, just mm. particularly because I love being in sort of leadership and like organizing events and stuff like that. So like a really broad circle. But whereas for mm. her, like her closest friends are this really tight knit group of like five or six girls from high school or university. She still keeps in touch with them. She's really close to them. And so I think in a way then like, her, the way that she dealt with her sense of identity and they just happen to be from Asian backgrounds as well or from Chinese type backgrounds for me I probably had more um, multicultural friends like Anglo as well as mm. um, like different types of people from different types of um, Asian cultures and in particular um, the high school that I went to McRob like it was just yeah very very diverse um, mm. and so yeah, so like both of us, though she ended up going to that high school as well. So, but like just yeah, the friendship groups growing up were different. Um, and because I'm the older sister, like I kind of led the rebellion. Like, so like I went through stuff first. Mm. And so it was almost like by the time she got to that phase, yeah. yeah, she didn't like she could do anything. Like she's the youngest in the family. She could do anything and not get in trouble because <laughs> I had already tried it. Um, yeah. and yeah, so I, yeah, I don't, I don't know if she went through that sense of identity crisis, but I would say both of us, um, definitely like love and, and embrace our Chinese roots. And in, mm. yeah, again, interestingly, then she chose to, in university, she went to Melbourne university and she was more involved in some of the Chinese student yeah. groups. 
Mm. I did like the groups Mm. that I was involved in were probably just your sort of mainstream groups whereas she was involved in the Chinese music group at Melbourne Uni so a lot of she's got this really close group of friends that are all Cantonese speaking they're from Hong Kong Um, Mm. and that's why she decided to move to Hong Kong to work Mm. after graduation Um, and so right now like I would say her Chinese her spoken Chinese and her her written Chinese is like superior to mine Um, I used to be good at it back in the day but I just don't use it um, Mm. enough so Mm. um yeah yeah that's interesting like I should ask her I've never really chatted with her directly about that identity thing yeah yeah it's very interesting I was listening to a podcast that you're also a guest of the next level Asian and you're talking about how you identify more as a westerner in Hong Kong but you identify more as an Asian in Australia it's so interesting can you talk a little bit more about that oh yeah sure um so (laughs) so one thing I noticed was that when I was traveling to Hong Kong and like I said I went back every one or two years um and I'll be like on the MTR which is like the subway system right and I would see a westerner and like immediately get excited and think oh like you know maybe they need my help (laughs) maybe like they're lost um but it was this sense of like oh there's someone that I identify with because I was I felt like I was a westerner in Hong Kong but whereas within Australia um I guess you I'll just share this anyway so like my husband always jokes that when when we first moved to Sydney there were certain suburbs that we were looking for um rental property um in and um there are some suburbs that are more uh, or less multicultural um than others as you would know and um I used to kind of joke I'll go oh there's you know like look that there are people that look like me um you know (laughs) um in this street or whatever um at, at this cafe and yeah so it was almost like you know in the Australian setting I naturally look for people that are more similar to me in that sort of the with the Asian cultural lens exterior exterior um so yeah it just shows again like this mixed identity that I have um yeah yeah I mean it's very interesting yeah I think it's super fascinating um but yeah my husband just thinks it's funny yeah (laughs) sorry so you go you had you've heard of the term banana right yeah of course yeah yeah for, yeah for bananas yellow on the outside white on the inside but how did you feel when you were in New York New York was, um, I mean, New York was one of the best experiences, um, both professionally and personally. Um, But the reality is a place like New York, you, as an expat, you end up hanging out with expats. And Mm. so like really my friends were not really Americans. They were like, you know, Europeans and people from Asia, like from different places. And so Mm. um, it was a a melting pot. So did you identify yourself as an Australian? I would or... say, yeah, probably as an yeah. Australian, but embedded within that was my Chinese-ness. Chinese roots. As yeah. well, yeah. Mm. And like, so um, my role in New York was 
what we called it an Australian tax desk. So I was the Australian tax expert. That was a first point of call um, for a lot of multinationals that had questions in that US time zone. And so it was um, quite a national role and I got to travel around and do presentations and answer technical questions as well as, um, you know, just, yeah, like, you know, just met lots of different people. And I guess, yeah, like I, um, oh yeah, and then as, as part of that, so there were, um, my equivalent or my peers that were from Germany, um, you know, UK, Switzerland, etc. And so with those um, Western background, um, European background friends, I guess the things that the activities that we would do were like rooftop drinks, for example, whereas um, there were also my peers equivalents from say China, Japan, Korea. And with those guys, we tended to go out and do like different activities. Like, I mean, eating and drinking is dim sum. Well, not exactly, but like sort of, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you kind of yeah. like the, the choices, like they might not be as into rooftop drinks, like, but they might want to check out a local Japanese restaurant or they're yeah. like a food festival week. And so, yeah. you know, we were organizing lunches at different restaurants um, and it wasn't limited to Asian cuisine necessarily. Um, and then yet there were like other friends where, you know, went to the ballet with them or opera with them. And so, culture is just one element ultimately you know it's about like each individual brings with them sort of different interests mm. and culture is just one aspect and so mm. I was able to do lots of different activities because I met lots of different types of people um, in mm. New York and it was just yeah it was a really fun time and it was 2015 to 2018 and, and mm. now like you know during COVID I heard some of these stories about how like New York was just dead and you know like you know really impacted by COVID and so I was really sad to hear that but now it sounds like they've sort of revived and you know New York is the city that never sleeps and it's amazing um and yeah I'm glad that they're okay now but like I really because I was there sort of pre-COVID really got to live out like this amazing sort of lifestyle um mm. and like my husband his role he had to travel during the week um down south um sorry just one second um down south um every week and so he would go on a plane like early on a Monday and come back late on a Thursday night and some weekends like we would meet in a different city and so for me nice. a lot of the time in New York I was actually by myself yeah. during the week and we were newlyweds yeah. at that point um and so but because I had all these cool expat friends that wanted to go out during the mm. week and so we were like always doing different activities um mm. and I, I mean I worked it was like the it was a classic work hard play hard yeah um, sort of yeah yeah period was that a pact that you made together to travel and especially to move to relocate to New York no um, it was just an opportunity that came up with my employer at the time and so um because I'm from Hong Kong originally I had been looking for a secondment opportunity to Hong Kong um at that time there was another Aussie or a couple of other Aussies um at the same company in Hong Kong and they basically said oh look we like your resume um it'll be great to have you but you need to wait until these other Aussies secondees finish their thing and then you can have your turn um but in that in the meantime, then this New York opportunity came up and my, one of my bosses said, hey, do you want to put your hat in the ring? Um, and it was one of those things that I had never really thought was possible or never really thought specifically about. And, and then, you know, when opportunity knocks, you kind of go, yeah, sure, why not? Um, put my hat in the ring. And so at that time, so this is like 2015, um, my husband and I, like we were engaged and like we're going to get married in like May 2016 at that point in time but because they needed someone to fill the that particular New York role 
Um, so we ended up bringing the wedding forward to um, September 2015 oh, so, wow, that, okay. so that we could get married um, and move to New York together. You know, bearing in mind, I come from a conservative Christian family. And so, you know, my parents were like, you have to get married have first. have to get married before we move overseas, <laughs> okay. and, which is all like, but we were getting married anyway. But um, so I ended up having six weeks to organize the wedding. Like it was, oh, wow. so it was booked in, it was booked in, right? So like we were yeah, sort of like yeah. August, 2015, kind of trying to work out, okay, this opportunity has come up, what do we do? Um, and then, you know, we we're going to get married, you know, the following year and had booked in, tentatively booked in, you know, florists and venues and that kind of stuff. And then basically um, went, okay, and this is my classic, this is like my classic um, personality coming through of like Jess going, okay, well, I'm just going to bring the wedding forward and I'm going to just organize it and then negotiate it the same venue, the same florists. Um, the only thing was the season's different. And so even what I didn't think about was that I'd told the florists I wanted certain colours that were like autumn-y colours for the flowers. And so, but we ended up having a spring wedding and we had like, she still tried to do the autumn flowers. Anyway, but the wedding went really well and um, it was beautiful. Um, it was at the Stones of the Yarra Valley in, um, in um, the, you know, in um, one of the wine regions in Victoria. We had a great time. Um, and so then I moved to um, New York and then so Andrew then had to negotiate with his employer um, to after get a secondment. Moved. Yeah, after I moved. So like he oh, couldn't, okay. it couldn't happen as quickly, but then he yeah. kind of, um, you know, he came, he came over a couple of times and then eventually moved um, more permanently sort of the start of 2016. Um, but we still got to do our, um, we still got to do part of our wedding um, in Santorini, which was the destination part of our wedding in May 2016, um, because we had had planned for some of my um, overseas relatives to sort of travel because um, I couldn't make the Australian wedding. But anyway, so like that 2015, 2016 phase, it was all like really exciting or like, you know, hey, let's just jump onto this opportunity. Let's move, you know, to the, to the other side of the world. It's New York. What have we got to lose? You know, we're young, um, no kids at that stage. Um, and yeah, everything was, it was stressful, but it somehow worked out. Um, yeah. Yeah, it somehow worked out. And now, you know, all these years later, we are, um, yeah, still, you know, still happily married and now with um, almost two kids on the way. Yep, um, another so, one on the way. Yeah. Well yep. done. Okay. So you were there for two years. Yeah. Uh, two and part of it yep. sort of t- uh, semi-together geographically because you were separated for, you know, Monday to Thursdays. Um, how long were you doing that type of arrangements for? How, I mean, how long it was, was Andrew traveling for work? Yeah, I mean, it was like for probably like a big chunk of the two yeah. years or so. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was different, like dependent on the project because it's actually yeah. in the US, it's actually really common, um, particularly um, for consultants to be traveling yeah. quite a lot. Um, yeah. So, you know, that was just the norm. I mean, the the positive thing about it was um, he got lots of um, this frequent flyer points and he was like a platinum member of whatever American Airlines. And so when you go to the airport, when you're traveling on holidays that you get like priority access to the lounges, priority access to, you know, boarding and all of that. And it also meant that we had lots of points, um, hotel points. Um, yeah. And so we were able to get like lots of upgrades to suites and, um, and yeah. use up the points, um, you know, in later holiday travels. So um, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. As you know, I just spent like a good part of the year in New York as well with my family. So we brought over the two kids, went to school there, 
What I found quite interesting was um, because we didn't have the family support that we have back home, the whole experience for me at least was that we were forced into an environment where we really needed to listen to each other and communicate to each other. How has the New York experience shaped your relationship at that time? I would say we had we had just had really different experiences of New York mm-hmm. um and but also because our personalities are really different mm-hmm. and so it was okay like so for example even if my husband had had to like you know even if his role was mainly New York based he wouldn't have necessarily wanted to do all the activities and like you know the opera and like ballet and all of that stuff like I would have still gone with my other expat friends friends. Mm. and so but whereas he the cool thing about his experience was he actually got to spend a lot of time with his American colleagues who by the way also flew from different parts of America to the client projects and so during the week like they're having lunches and dinners together um, Mm. all the time so he got to really know them um, really mm-hmm. well and I think he he really enjoyed that he really enjoyed like learning about um, you know college football and college basketball and like you know went to a game with his with his colleagues and, and all of that stuff and again like that's not stuff that I'm naturally interested in so yeah. I'm glad we had the room like I feel yeah. like when I reflect on that experience like we got to do things together mm. and enjoyed aspects of America and New York together um, but at the same time, we also got to do different things which suited yeah. our personalities and interests. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, certainly, like, he would say he didn't, like, his experience wasn't solely of New York. Like, he saw a different part of America. And this is Trump America at that point. Oh. Yeah. So, um, you know, like, it's very interesting kind of um politics and all of that um but but at the same time in New York we got to do some really cool stuff like you know we went along to talks by like Henry Kissinger for example Henry Kissinger recently passed away and like it's just it was in our local neighborhood at the YMCA and he was like the exposure that you get exposure is amazing yeah it's just world-class yeah anything world-class speakers world-class artists chefs yeah okay absolutely um I wanted to ask about the corporate culture did you experience anything different between working in the New York office versus working in the Australian office uh like I mean American culture and particularly New York culture is it's just a lot more like demanding like fast Mm. turnaround um Mm. I would say Australians work equally hard um but there's just this intensity to American culture. Mm. Um, like we didn't really, so for example, like you don't really naturally have like Friday night drinks with your colleagues. I mean, we did because we had expats. Like, so we, mm. you know, there's a bunch of us that would kind of still hang out together on Friday night. But yeah, like it, it is like the actual work culture is very different, although people are lovely. Um, but there's also this sense of, American politeness that comes yeah. through um, I don't know whether you I was just about that. to say it yeah. yeah yeah I mean the other thing actually that comes to mind is American working in America actually helped 
me with my confidence in like speaking up in yeah. you know and leading things and leading calls and leading projects because what I realized is well, well some of the junior staff in that Amer- in the American teams they were so confident like you mm. wouldn't know like mm. you know the corporate world there's a lot of hierarchy like mm. that's the reality and so people have different grades and you kind of sometimes more junior people the way that they um, speak up or, or present ideas and then you kind of go oh I thought they were the senior person but actually yeah. they're like you know a grad or a consultant or whatever it is yeah and so that made me realize I'm like oh okay well they're very very confident and it's sort of like mm. what's stopping me like I and you might have heard on that other um, on the level Asian podcast I talk about this a lot in terms of you know in the early stages of my corporate career I was more probably um, more reserved and shy mm. Um, in the way that I, you know, just with Chinese culture and upbringing, you just naturally go, oh, well, let the more senior person speak. Don't speak until you're spoken to. You're, mm-hmm. you know, your person in the background kind of writing notes and being really diligent and all of that and, you know, getting the work done until I realised, no, actually, like the corporate world favours or, or sees leadership um, in, a, in a certain way. Not that you have to be different, like, you know, you still be your authentic self, Um but for me, I was very, I went on a journey to be very deliberate in sort of how do I present my ideas? How do I demonstrate my leadership and my capability in a way that resonates um, in, in that culture? And and New York was a really big yeah. kind of period of my life where I, I learned to do that because one, like I was away from you know, the rest of the, the rest of the, um, the, in a different time zone. And um, in a way I had to kind of fend for myself a little bit. Um, mm. But yeah, like, but also because I saw just how confident the Americans were. I'm like, what's stopping yeah. me from being yeah. the same and just kind of voicing my ideas and my thoughts. And then the more that you practice in doing that, then it mm. just naturally becomes a habit over time. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so those are some of the things that I notice in terms of differences. Uh, the other thing that was interesting was I think when we talk about cultural cultural diversity and inclusion, um, I, I saw that the American corporate environment or the American firms were probably quite a bit ahead of Australia in terms of having um, cultural diversity at the more senior levels. I mean, they still had a lot to be done but um yeah like lots more people that look like me or had a similar background for me that I saw at the senior leadership levels um as compared to Australian or a corporate Australia yeah have you heard of the term the bamboo ceiling yeah yeah of course yeah yeah so it was really funny we were talking about this uh with my some of my MBA colleagues and this guy white male Australian he was just saying I don't know about you know what's what's this bamboo ceiling? I've never heard of uh, of this term before. <laughs> just I just looked at him and I said, "That's because you're not Asian." <laughs> and it's so funny because I attended uh, this corporate event in New York, uh, ran by Amex, and one of the senior person was Asian and she was quite young. And so I just approached her and I said, "Do you notice any differences between the the races? Have you?" experience basically I asked are you experiencing a bamboo ceiling in in the environment and she just said no there's no such thing and uh 
that seems to be quite the common experiences among people of, of other cultures as well in, in America. So I'm glad that you pointed it out. I think that we have made a lot of progress, but we still have ways to go compared to our American counterparts. Yeah, I mean, Australia's always sort of followed behind America. Mm. Um, mm. I mean, you look at during COVID, there was the movements like Stop Asian Hate, um, and all of that, and and that, um, and even you might be aware of Gold House, um, which is a collection of I don't know how to describe them probably, but I've been following them on social media. But a group of um, pretty um, influential Asian Americans that started this mm. group, and they have the support of um, you know Hollywood celebrities that are from Asian American backgrounds, for example, um, and they also. Um, they also, from a business perspective, um, you know, they support ventures um, of founders that are from an Asian American um, background. Mm. So, you know, not only are they raising awareness about some of these mm. racial issues, um, and but they're also, yeah, like, you know, supporting and advocating for um, Asian American leaders. And I really believe in like the, the, the thing that is like, you know, it's about normalizing. Cause like, if you think about, you take that and think about, well, in Australia, we've actually got lots of great Asian Australian leaders, but like just historically, they might not, like their achievements might not have been highlighted. People mm. like, they're just not in mainstream media as much. But I think in the last mm. few years, we're getting more, um, culturally diverse people um, into politics, for example, business. There's like a lot of, there's a bunch of people that are doing a lot to help elevate and bring these, um, I guess, improve um, mm. on, on, um, on these issues. And so um, it's, yeah, it's great to see, but um, yeah, mm. I definitely think, I don't know what it is. Like, I don't know whether it's because Australia is just a little bit more conservative in some ways, like we're more laid back, but actually, yeah, we're, probably more conservative. Um, I mean, in Australia, there's been um, a huge focus on gender um, equity issues. Um, of course, the LGBTQI community um, and um, now cultural diversity is something that's increasingly being talked about. Um, and we see more corporates um, starting to set targets and quotas in terms of leadership. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's, we're tr it's trending in the right direction, but just so much. So it's, it's slow and um, so much needs to be done. Yeah. Awesome. And how was your uh, experience in India? You went to Kolkata? Uh, yeah. Yes, yeah. Kolkata. Um, that was back in 2012. So it was for three months. Um, and like for me, when I interact with a different culture, I always go with open mind and sort of going, well, you know, I'm here to learn and to be curious. And I'm glad I did that because I, I think every time I do that, I get so much more out of that experience instead of kind of going somewhere or interacting with people that are different um, in the way that they speak or in the way they do things like with certain, like, you know, instead of approaching that with my own sort of judgment or biases, like I'm kind of like, hang on, I'm here to kind of just try it and let's just see. Um, mm. Yeah. So then I just, just had an amazing time. Um, you know, my colleagues were really wonderful. I got invited to weddings, um, Indian cultural weddings. I got to sort of travel to different cities around India as well on the weekends. Um, and yeah, just, yeah, just really loved it. Um, yeah. I haven't actually 
been back. Like I did say, oh, I'll definitely be back. Um, but I guess like, you know, over time you get busy and life happens. And um, so I'm, I'm hopeful that um, I will have a trip to India next September though. So um, mm, it'll be my nice. first time back in over a decade and it'll be great. And Kolkata is just like the traffic is crazy. Like the cars are just going in every direction. They might be different now a decade later, but, you know, there'll be like construction of this major road, um, but like, you know, it will take ages and and they'll say, oh, well, it's, you know, been constructing for like a long time and it's still not finished. Um, but then like, yeah, there's like no lines on the roads and like people are just driving everywhere. Oh, wow. Um, but like, you know, a lot organized of- Organized chaos. Of, organized chaos, which is really cool. <laughs> um, but- yeah, yeah, yeah. It's again like fond memories of just traveling to the different places and sort of learning um, about the, their culture and like different ways that people do things. Yeah. Okay. And so, what's life like for you right now? Life right now um, is it's it's full and it's um, you know at times exhausting. At times, I feel like I'm just surviving. At other times, I'm like. I'm really blessed I'm really lucky um and I think people with um, small children probably feel like this um and so my husband and I you know as I mentioned are in Sydney all our family um are not in Sydney so they're all interstate and so we both um work full-time we have our toddler in daycare five time five days a week um and we basically tag team and like sort of co-parent to somehow make it all work, um, which, you know, yeah, like it causes a lot of, um, it, it's very difficult. Um, and some days you feel a lot of guilt um, about not being a good, good enough parent or, um, or, you know, not um, even from a work perspective, you kind of go, Oh, well, I can't, I don't feel like I'm giving this a hundred percent. Um, but at the same time, I've got these responsibilities. But I guess becoming a parent in the last few years um, and, you know, transitioning back to work after parental leave, I've learned to like just you need to have stricter boundaries. Like, for example, I need to pick my son up before six because mm. that's where daycare closes. And they didn't mm. say, well, they'll literally daycare was like, it's not just about paying penalty rates. They're like, we don't have insurance after six. And the door, like this building closes after mm. six. And lo and behold, actually, there was one time we um, had parked in the building, picked up my son just before six o'clock and then went to the nearby supermarket to get something, try to get back to, to the car park after six. And we couldn't get in like because the building oh. was actually shut. So yeah. anyway, so anyway, so then so it does mean that um, for me, historically, someone that's because I work in my day job, I work um, with a lot of sort of cross border time zones and stuff. So I can have calls at all different times of the day. Um, and again, in terms of, you know, my level of experience or whatever, like I, um, I'm a director in, in an accounting firm. And so like often someone will send me something to review sort of late that afternoon. But now I can't like, because during the hours of sort of like, say, five and six or like five and seven or whatever it is, I need to go leave the office or leave the home office, pick up my child, um, you know, get dinner sorted get him like convince him negotiate for him to eat dinner and he's a really picky eater so like it's a hard negotiation and then um you know bath time and negotiate for him to sleep yeah <laughs> which could time. be any time yeah. between 8 30 to like 9 30 some days and anyway so then you know and then it's like well hang on I I can't I haven't quite finished my work I need to log back on or like people 
previously would have gone, hey, can you talk at 5 p.m.? Or can you do a call with the UK at 6 p.m.? Mm. But then I have to, and of course, mm. I kind of, I, I am flexible to work around some of these um, requirements and constraints to make sure that I do deliver to my clients and make sure I still, you know, feed my son and all of that. But sometimes it's really hard. Like it's yeah. just really tough to, to juggle that. Um, mm. And by the way, my husband works in a similar industry. So he's got similar sort of pressures and, and demands. And so, yeah, the two of us, like, I think we just, we just do, we kind of, we make do, we're sort of, we're surviving, we're doing okay. Um, but, you know, there are these moments when, when our son kind of, you know, you realise how much he's grown or he says something really cute and it just melts your heart and you're like, oh, yeah. all of that is worth it. Yeah. Um, and so it is, yeah, it is that fine balance of balancing. Like, so there's, you know, the people talk about work-life balance and uh, my husband used to say this term, um, it might have been from his employer or something, but it was like work-life fit. And I just used to hate that term. I'm like, what on earth is work-life fit? And now I realise, well, actually, it's, it is about just fitting in things. Like for everyone, for each person that happens to have a child or like whatever job or industry they're in, it's going to be different. But you need to work out what works for you. And also there's different, like each family and household will have different dynamics and there are some single parents out there that have to you know sort that out and some people have family help some people don't some people um pay for nannies or whatever it is and and others you know pay for daycare and so for us this is the arrangement that we have and so we somehow make it all fit in accordance with the obligations and the responsibilities that we have um and also, you know, the things that we want to do as well um, mm. as people. And um, um, you might be aware that like in addition to my day job um, and being a parent, I, um, I run a startup and I can talk more about that, but I also am on the board of a couple of not-for-profits. And so for me, that's really important to me because my I'm very purpose-driven and it's important for me to be using my skills to impact the community for good. Yeah. And so I need to do that. It's almost like I have this need to do that with my life. Yeah. Um, and so then I need to fit that in. They go, well, I need to fit a board meeting in. And so if there's a board meeting, do I take, for example, take annual leave for half a day so that I can do, um, you know, f f do the board um, meeting and, and all of that stuff. Or it could be like on a weeknight, when I'm exhausted after a long day of work and like negotiating to get my toddler to bed, but I need to um, read some board papers or I need to like prepare something um, that I've committed to doing for one of the not-for-profits. Um, and so, yeah, like it, it's hard, but then yet for me, when I think about my life holistically and the things that like the person that I want to be and want to become, then I kind of go, well, hang on, I need to somehow make all of these things fit without burning out, of course, um, because mm. I'm not, I don't like, I, I think sometimes people, when they listen to me, they're like, oh my God, you, you do so much. You don't sleep. I'm like, no, but I love to sleep. Like, you know, I love, like, I'm just like anyone else, but somehow like, because these things are important to me. Um, it's like this, um, and sorry to go on a tangent, but like, have you ever heard of this story of like a professor goes to the classroom and goes, well, here's a glass, here's a, like a glass jar. Like you firstly yeah. have to put the big stones in, yeah. right? You fill 
your jar with the big stones and then you can still fill it up with the smaller pebbles and then fill mm. it up with sand. But then if you try to fill it up with the sand first, then you'll never fit the big stones or the pebbles yeah. in. And so life for me, like I adopt a little bit of that philosophy, like, well, these are the big things that are, that are important to me, of course, my family, um, you know, my work commitments and then, you know, then it's about fitting, well, what is it that I want to do to impact the community and what do I need to do to also keep progressing in the direction I want to progress, whether it be my startup or whatever it is. And so I need to fit those things in. Um, and then once I fit those things in, and by the way, I get to enjoy some Korean drama on Netflix when I have some downtime. Um, I get to go out with my girlfriends or, um, you know, enjoy a nice restaurant or a comedy gig every now and then. Like, you know, it's so you can you can fit it, um, but it's mm. it's just like you need to fit the big, the important stuff in. And somehow just for me, that's the yeah, that's the approach that I've taken. What are the big important things for you? Um, so, yeah, definitely family. Um uh, and well, work commitments, um, my faith. So I'm a Christian, I go to church, um, I, um, I serve at my church. And so these are not negotiables. Like these are things that, because I, like, for example, if I'm not connected in my faith, then I'm sort of like, not, not that I'm a lesser human or no, no, I'm not saying that it's more like I feel, I, I feel not quite myself. And so yeah. I know that to be at my best, I need to be just grounded in yeah. my faith. I need to have my, you know, church community. I need to be like growing in my faith. Um, and similarly with my family, like, well, it's obvious like, I've got a two-year-old that needs me. <laughs> I need to feed him. I need to spend time with him. But part of that is like, again, being what I've learned is like, I need to be intentional about the quality time that I spend with him. And mm. also I've realized that he picks up so much of what we say and do. And yeah. so like they absorb like sponges. Mm. Right. And so, yeah, I just need to be mindful that I'm not just sitting there just like, mm. you know, on my phone scrolling mm. or, you know, like he knows to say, Oh, mama's working or dada's yep. working. Yep. And then he'll try to, um, you know, in the living room there, we've got like a little study table and sometimes my husband's there and, um, you know, he's got his laptop in his mouse, but then our son will sometimes go up and then try to like play with the mouse because for him, he wants to be like daddy because he sees yeah. daddy doing that. Yeah. Um, and so then that kind of makes me think, well, what are we portraying to, yeah. to our kids in yeah. terms of what's important? Or like, yeah. you know, if like, let's say like, again, thinking about the fact that, you know, working full time, in my early transition back to work, I realized, man, I only really just have like one hour of quality time with my son after picking him up from daycare and then like getting him ready for bed. And that's mm. it. Like mm. one hour yeah. a day, that's not much at all. Mm. Um, and so it's like, well, what do I do in that one hour? Am I just like both? Like, are we just like sitting mm. in front of the TV or mm. am I just like, you know, frazzled and like running to and from, or do I, kind of sit intentionally and go oh how you know what did you do like he, he's still too yeah. young like be present but it's like maybe it's reading a book together um, yeah. and seeing the way that he absorbs that and kind mm. of plays back things mm. that he learns in the book and it's just really rewarding so mm. yeah like trying to be a good parent trying to be um a good um a worker leader um in the community and all of that it, it's not easy but um again like sort of 
leaning on, well, um, for me, it's like leaning on the teamwork that my team sort of team dynamics of co-parenting um, that my husband and I um, have and just playing to our strengths as well within the household. So for example, mm. he is really not that anyone can be good at cleaning I guess he's good at cleaning compared to me but like so like for example he does a lot more of the um so the the physical housework but I do the planning and I do you know making sure that we've got the groceries or ordering enough nappies or whatever it is um so I'm the planner and organizer and then he's the he'll physically implement um you know certain things um so yeah and and knowing that like and some days like you know, for example, yesterday we needed to pick up um, our son um, from daycare and like both of us were working from home and it was like 5.30 p.m. The place closes at six. It's nearby, but there's, you know, if there's traffic, we still you need to make sure we sort of leave the house at a certain time. But I was trying to catch a colleague who's over in a different time zone and like that was the only time I could talk to the colleague and I'm like, look, I'm just going to, I need to pick up my son, but I'm going to quickly do the call now and talk to you um, about this particular matter. And then he, my husband happened to, I finished my call. It was like right on 5.30 and he was still on his teleconference downstairs. And I basically just went, do you want me to pick him up instead? He's like, yeah. And, you know, we were kind of gesturing to each other to go, yep, yep, you do it. And so, you know, that was different from what was originally planned because we wanted to go together and go to the supermarket or whatever afterwards. But like sometimes you just adapt. And so then I ended up picking him up and, you know, and it was fine. And then we came home and, um, you know, dinner was a little bit later than than usual, but that's okay. So some, like, you just somehow make it work. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. How was your motherhood journey? Was uh, was it a long road to um, to conceive Abraham? Yeah, so we definitely, um, like, you know, I mentioned we were in New York and, you know, had such a great time. And so we didn't really think about um, starting a family until after that. Um, And then, yeah, when we came back to Australia, so we decided to move to Sydney instead of move back to Melbourne just for a bit of a scenery change. And also it was like, oh, well, we grew so much as people. Why don't we continue that sense of adventure by trying a new city so anyway so I moved to Sydney you know six years ago um and that like you know I always I'm very open about the fact that well yeah once we started wanting to start a family it was harder than expected um and and yeah everyone's got sort of different challenges in their fertility journeys and some people make it seem so easy but yet actually there's a lot of heartbreak that kind of goes on behind that and for us there was a bit of heartbreak and um sort of working through different um medical genetic stuff um and so like we just we feel really blessed that mm. we now um have um Abraham and you know we've got um another boy on the way and um and all of that is possible because of like great healthcare that we have in this country um but yeah, like, you know, there were, there was a stage there that, you know, the doctor was like, and I know this is like quite personal, but I'm happy to share it. Like at one stage, like the doctor was like, I don't know if you can actually, it's safe for you to actually carry the baby. Like you might need to use a surrogate. And that was something that I'd never imagined or thought about. Um, mm. But luckily we were able to clear a bunch of tests. And so in the end they're like, okay, no, no, you're okay now. Um, but yeah, like it's, you just you just never know what people go through 
Um, mm. And I think the more, and because I've been pretty open about our journey um, yeah. in terms of, you know, conceiving with um, with friends and and um, colleagues and stuff. And then, then you start, other people start opening up and then you go, oh, actually, it's actually really common. Um, it, it is very common. That people, mm. and increasingly, um, you know, yeah. as women are starting to choose to, you know, think about having kids a little bit later than before mm. um mm. so you know we yeah we went through IVF and you know I'm very open about it um but mm. we're very lucky that IVF was mm. successful because we've heard stories of others that have gone through it many times and um and were not successful um mm. but I always like you know like things that I did to to kind of you know for example stop drinking um you know I love going to wineries and um you know stocking up on different wine and stuff love going out to eat at nice restaurants but kind of like by pairing back some of that actually that helped and so like yeah you know diet changing diet I also kind of swear by the fact that acupuncture helped so mm. I always like just girlfriends that are going through similar stuff. And again, like as I've been open with people, then people are like, oh, actually, you know, mm. I'm going through a similar journey and considering IVF, et cetera. Um, I'm like, yeah, make sure you do acupuncture because mm. it actually helps to like, I don't know exactly how it works, but yeah. it kind of um, helps prepare your body um, mm. and people have had success with it. Um, but yeah, like exercising, seeing a PT, losing a bit of weight, like all of those factors um, mm. helped and um, we're really glad that yeah we have a healthy son um, and again yeah with um, second the second baby was through IVF as well and it's from the same um, mm. the batch. same batch yeah, yeah. As, as, um, as our first and so yeah. uh, we're incredibly incredibly mm. lucky um, and it's just like IVF is the sort of thing that you go through and then you you kind of forget how horrible <laughs> how difficult an experience yeah, yeah. it was like because like, yeah. you know at one stage and it was during it was around like COVID the first time like I had to like within the confines of you know COVID limitations whatever like go like a few like in the mornings and it was near the office I had to like go in for like blood tests every two days and you had to jab yourself with these injections and take all this medicine like, I think my mind has kind of blocked out a lot of that. Um, yeah. But yeah, like, I mean, I, I'm very happy with the um, the IVF service provider and like, you know, the doctors were amazing. Um, but yeah, like, but again, you, see, you hear some stories of other people that have had really um, not as nice experiences and then, you mm. go, and then you kind of go, oh my God, I, yeah, don't really want to have to go through it again. Um, mm. And so, yeah, touch wood, everything goes well with my current pregnancy. So I don't have to. You're almost there. I'm almost there. Um, <laughs> almost yeah, stretch. Almost there. So, yeah. And like, you know, like being through this process, I kind of go, women are just really amazing. Like what our bodies can do is yeah. really amazing. Um, yeah. So, yeah, like you just can't underestimate it. Um anyway so yeah like you know it's been it's been a it's been a hard journey but then at the same time like yeah everything's gone pretty smoothly like I've had a few like everyone has different things to deal with in every pregnancy um mm. you know for me it's like gestational diabetes which is uh, unfortunately with people from um an, uh, an Asian background it's quite common 
And so now it's about monitoring my uh, blood glucose levels and all of that after every meal and hoping that I don't have to go on um, any medicine, but that's okay. Um, so it usually goes away after the baby's born anyway. But yeah, so like there's just a bunch of that stuff that you have to manage. And, and I guess like when it, you think back to like work and like people don't see all that stuff that you have yeah. to think about and go through. Yeah. Which is fine. It's not like I need them to understand everything, but it's like, well, it, it, it's taught me empathy and compassion for others as well, because, mm. because I myself have gone through all of this stuff in the background, mm. then I realize, well, for example, if a colleague um, has gone through a difficult, you know, whether it's their own fertility journey or like losing a baby or whatever it is, you kind of go like you, you end up having more empathy for like yeah for for what they're going through and yeah it's no longer like in that sort of work setting it's no longer just go oh where's the deliverable where's this it's about well hang on how are you going how's your family going like do you need time like you know is there anything I can do to support you like Mm. do you need to sort of navigate around this and so um yeah yeah so yeah it's been a huge learning experience as well um just as a human yeah, I think it's the mental burden, right? Not just the fact that they're doing it physically, but even when they're at work physically, they're still thinking about it. They're still, even whilst they're working. Um, and not so much um, just limited to fertility issues, but also other things that's going on in life. So I think that's quite important um, to to realise that, um we're dealing with a lot of things, you know, the being a grown up is, is not, um, it's a complex issue. It's, it's not a straightforward issue. Um, so at the moment you're pregnant with the second one, it's almost, uh, baby's almost here. Do you know what you're having? A boy. So two boys. Okay. In the household. Um, do you have a name? Yeah. 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 It's going to okay. start with J. You'll oh, find, okay. You'll find out. You'll find out when the baby's born. But yeah, yeah, yeah. we um, you're doing the initials. Um, we did the same the initials, thing as well. Yeah, yeah, the opposite initials. So yeah. my husband's name is Andrew, and so yeah. my firstborn Abe, yeah. is A, and then J yeah. and J. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, nice. Will you be having another one after this? No, done. No. <laughs> I think people usually um, so like my husband's felt like he's got um, a brother, and then for me, I've got a sister, and so like I think people that grow up like used to like having two kids, like generally want two kids, and people mm-hmm. that grow up with like three kids, like for mm-hmm. them, the norm is three kids. I mean, this is a huge generalization, but like for us, like I think two is good. Um, you know, we yeah, just hope that you know they get along well as siblings and um and can be best mates and it's nice that it's two boys and they can like I haven't you know I don't need to like rebuy all the clothes that he barely wore the first time around so um yeah 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 nice okay um can you take us back to the young Jess uh I guess the 16 year old when he just got into the selective girl school did you know that you're uh, going to be a mom I probably didn't really think about it. Um, yeah, just life was just so full. I probably thought, you know, at some stage I would. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, I wouldn't have thought about just how much you go through, firstly, to get pregnant, to become a mum, and then what you go through oh, as a parent. 
yeah. after the baby and then like once you become a parent yeah. you worry about so many different things yeah I wouldn't like just would not have thought about that at all yeah, yeah. okay what about career wise did you know that you were going to be a career person sounds like you were quite driven from well, like age. again like I don't know that I thought like I didn't probably picture life in exactly this way it's interesting I was reflecting on um why I'm so career driven like so because Mm. we were migrants from Hong Kong like and my mum like I talked about my the fact that my dad did his MBA and it actually was hard for him to find a job in the Australian market even though he was so qualified in Mm. his experience in Hong Kong but he didn't have equivalent experience in the Australian market so he ended Mm. up taking quite a low level kind of role um, and that's how he raised the family um, to his credit. And, and and this is a common story with a lot of immigrants. But mum, yeah, mum was a stay-at-home mum and for mm. most of my life. And so, like, yeah, like, it's interesting, like, because it's almost like because my parents, I saw that my parents sacrificed so much for the family, it kind of makes me go the other way in terms of, like, well, I'm not going to be a state. Like I just never really thought about being a stay-at-home mom. Having said that, like, the only caveat I would have to that is, you know, there's a lot of like Hong Kong TV dramas and stuff that I watched when I was growing up. And there's this concept of a Thai Thai. I don't know if yes. you know that word. Um, yes. And my friends in university or high school and university is a group of like guys and girls that used to hang out with. And they used to kind of joke and say, oh, Jess, you just want to be a Thai Thai, which means like a, um, you know, a socialite stayed home. Yep. Um, but that was like a kind of kind of thought oh yeah that would be nice you know marry a wealthy person and so you don't have to do anything Um, but that was like the tv kind of you know the tv drama world right um as much as I joked about that but like for me it was just natural to just go into the workforce and like just work and and you know use my skills and develop and contribute Mm. so I yeah, like, and everyone will have different situations, you know, financially and whatever, and people, and there's, I'm not saying one is better than another, of course it's not, because it just depends on what the individual chooses, but for me, like, there's just this really intent, like, sense of drive mm. that I would naturally just work and make my own mm. money and all of that stuff, and it, yeah, like, which is, like, polar opposite to what my mum chose to do but again maybe in that generation it was just common particularly with immigrant families for for the woman to um, you know stay at home and look after the kids and I'm really grateful that she did because we my sister and I grew up in a great home with great values Mm. and we are the people that we are because of all of that um, because of that really loving warm family that we grew up in Um, and I mean the other day I was just having um, lunch with colleagues and I said to them when Andrew and I were dating, um, there was, you know, we were starting to th- talk about marriage and like at one point it kind of, it was a bit of a shock to the system when he, like I, I realised that he kind of expected me to work part-time after having kids or after mm. getting married. Mm. And like for me, it was almost like, what do you mean? Like I've never thought about taking mm. a step back in my career or working part-time. And again, that was like, you know, before we thought about, really specifically thought about kids it was just like two people that have been dating for a while and going well what's what's life going to look like in the future Mm. and so that's in a way it surprised me that that was his assumption 
Yeah. And, you know, my husband's probably one of the like most laid back guys you ever meet. Like, and he's not going to be, he's not chauvinistic or anything like he, or ultra conservative or anything like that. And so like, it was just interesting that that was what was in his mind. And because for him, yeah. like, his mum stayed, like his mum had a, um, I think it was like a medical career, then became maybe a pharmacist and, but still, like, and it chose to stay at home. And again, like that was a different generation back then. Mm-hmm. Maybe that was the norm. Um, and so, yeah, it was just interesting when I realised, oh, well, hang on, that's what's in his head. Oh, it must have been like when we were doing like marriage courses or marriage counselling and stuff and then you start realising, actually, the way that you have both been brought up, like in like the, your yeah. values, like family it's a origins. bunch of stuff. Yeah, family, origins, yeah. like a whole bunch of yeah. stuff you don't realise and it comes out and you're like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And so mm. even now, now that we do um, have a kid, um, and, you know, we're thinking about, like, what does life ahead look like? Um, it, Yeah, it's interesting because, like, again, like, I've kind of, in the last few years, as I've seen sort of um, more senior female colleagues um, in my organisation and, uh, and in other organisations, you know, the reality is it's often the woman that, te- like, kind of chooses to take a step back. And, again, I my belief is, like, everyone needs to do what's right for them in their in the household but I actually think that it like you can't you shouldn't think that it's the woman that should take a step back as a default um now sometimes financially that's what would make sense um but yet for other households it might financially make sense for the mum or for the for the female if that is like you know to 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 be the breadwinner um and there's lots of families that increasingly so that do that and so yeah like all this stuff that you don't really think of like I wouldn't have thought about that back then mm. and like this is how and and certainly going back to your original question you know when I was 16 I didn't really know what life would look like and the fact that yeah when you get down to the nitty-gritty it becomes a negotiation and a, and a, a balance of different factors in order to go well we both want to excel in our careers but we both want to be great parents we both want to be present for our child we want our children to grow up in a happy home where both parents are you know mentally emotionally and physically available and present Mm. um so that's yeah that's stuff that we're we're sort of working through um and so i'm taking um some parental leave next year and then um so the question is yeah does that mean i go back part-time i don't know um it it may not maybe like you know and andrew and i talk about well would both of us go part-time and what does that potentially look like um so there's a lot of open questions that we don't we don't know the answer to um and so we learn from you know learn from others and see what what are others doing and then Mm. the the reality is like with the cost of living increases and all of that like more and more families need to have double income right and so it's actually normal for Mm. both parents um to be to be working Mm. um yeah so yeah like it's it's an interesting um topic that I'm I'm like always thinking about and wanting to explore more because um I mean one of the things that um I you know as I mentioned I've got my startup um Mumble Me which is all about connecting working mums with career opportunities and part of the motivation in starting Mumble Me is about how do we help more mums to get back into the workforce particularly after taking some time off and mm. during that phase of, of motherhood. Um, so like, are you happy for me to tell yeah, you a little sure. bit about it? Yeah, um, sure. 
So it's, the, it's, it's really interesting in that like there's been some recent stats that the government has released. And this is the government's, um, it's called the, uh, I think it's called the Economic uh, Women's um, Economic Equality Task Force, um, chaired by Sam Mostyn. And um, a few months ago, they released some data that said, well, a 25-year-old female that ends up having a child um, earns $2 million less than mm. a 25-year-old male who ends up being a father. Mm. The other stat that was really astounding was um, in the first five years of entering to parenthood, a woman's earnings decreases by 55%. But in the same, like for a male equivalent in that situation, their earnings are not impacted. Yeah. And so when I look at stats like that and I'm like, oh my gosh, like then, and then that you kind of, then going back to how, as I said, in my mind, for me, I've never really thought about taking a step back in my career and I've never really thought that hard about the fact that yeah you need to it's a bit of give and take because I've always gone well why can't women have it all and then you know more senior females would say you can have it all but just not at the same time and I'm like what does that mean um but as I'm exploring and going through and and sort of grappling with these issues myself and then I see some I hear some of these stats I'm like well hang on that's really unfair because Australian women, um, like, you know, are relatively highly educated. So many Australian women, you think about the women that are going through in university, training programs and all of that. And as I mentioned before, like women are having kids later than previously. So now, you know, women in their mid-30s, late 30s, even early 40s are having their first child in, in many, many cases. And so by then, you might have been working in the workforce for like 15 years or longer, 20 years after your um, formal education. And so if these women are then choosing to opt out because of there's so many factors, right? So you kind of go, well, the cost of childcare is in many cases quite prohibitive, right? And so sometimes when people do the sums, it's actually easier for the woman to take a step back in their career rather than work and pay for childcare. Because in the short term, it's just better off financially. It makes more sense. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, there's lots of organisations that are really focused on um, and, you know, lobbying um, government and all of that. And there's talk of how do we sort of improve that, right, which is really important, okay? Um, And then there's other factors that women go through. And I've experienced it myself. So, for example, when I went back to full-time work after my first parental leave, like there's just something that you go through um, both internally and externally, just in terms of there's like this confidence crisis that, um, again, it's not common, it's not just unique to me, like you hear it in so hmm. many other women that transition back to the workforce. This confidence crisis of going, oh my gosh, do I still have it? Like, you know, I used hmm. to work at a particular, perform at a particular level, hmm. um, you know, work in a high performance culture. And so, you know, I pride myself in being able to deliver in a particular way and lead things in a particular way but now with all these different constraints and the different responsibilities that I talked about earlier like how do Mm. I like I I feel a sense of guilt or like a sense of like am I not acting in the same capacity am I not good enough for this role and in the same way like when you've taken extended time off 
and you go back into this environment, so much has changed, whether it be personnel changes, systems changes, um, yeah. or simply that some of the people that you trained are now like, you know, more experienced surpassing you, you, whatever Mm. it is. Mm. And again, very common story that many women in this situation, um, you know, have faced. And so, so these like women, then you go, well, and so then what happens is there's another stat actually. So the other stat, um, I think it says like women in their thirties are three times more likely than men to leave the workforce. And so then what happens is we hear these stories of, well, the stats about in their forties and fifties, there's growing disparity in um, gender pay equity. Mm. And then we know that when we, when women retire, their superannuation balance is a lot lower. We know mm. that, um, you know, for example, corporate Australia or, or like, you know, in different organisations, there's a real lack of senior female leadership mm. because somewhere along the way when women enter into this stage called parenthood, even though they were brilliant in their jobs before that, they somehow come to face with this decision of like, do I keep going? Yeah. But it's so hard. How do I keep going? Yeah. Or do I opt out? And so many choose to opt out. And Mm. again, like no judgment, people need to do what they need to do, weighing in the different factors. Um, And so if they do choose to opt out and they go, well, I'm going to take say five years off or three years off and go back after my kids are a bit older and have started primary school, for example. But then by then things have changed and moved. And so then these women tend to end up in less senior roles. Mm. Um, yeah. And, and so like at Mumble Me, our startup, what, what we're doing is we're aiming to provide every Australian mum with access to the career opportunities that she wants whenever she chooses. So it's about being on their terms. Some want to work full-time, some want to work part-time, some want to work flexibly, some want to work in the office. Like the reality is everyone's different and you can't assume what a mum will or will not do. We need to give the choice back to the mums. Um, and so we're, we're a platform that connects these mums with skills, um, mainly with professional skills, whether it be finance, marketing, digital, um, whatever it is, um, with employers that have job opportunities. And, they're, they're, you know, we've talked about how Australia has got a um, skill shortage. And um, and so actually we've got what we're saying is there's actually these mums with amazing skills that are educated, mm. but like it's they're finding it really hard to mm. get back into the workforce or they might actually be so loyal to their current jobs, even though it might be suboptimal or they might not be getting promotion opportunities or pay rises, but they stick to that job because it's safe and it's what they know. And so they're not going to be applying for the plum assignments or the plum jobs. And so like we want to provide this new laneway for mums to be able to access that because the mums are not applying through your traditional channels. Because when people look at their resumes, when the recruiters look at the resumes or when employers look at their resumes, they're like, well, you've got this gap in your career. Or like you used to be a software developer and then now you and then you did a bunch of low-level admin roles. Like what does that mean? Like what are your skills really now? And so like we see women that have signed up with us through our platform and like, you know, different resumes and different backgrounds. And there's this common thread of like, it's just such a challenge and they've been rejected and not feeling supported or they've ch- chosen to take time off and it's really hard to get back or, or they you know, they've faced this confidence crisis that I've um, mentioned. And so they need that support to to go for the right roles. And in the same way, we see that the organisations that we've been speaking with through our platform, that 
they need support from HR strategists and DNI strategists to redesign their roles to go, well, does this really need to be full-time? Does this really need to be completely in the office? Can it be job share? Can it be an outcomes-based role um, instead of, you know, by hours or whatever it is? So there's a lot of stuff that we've been sort of thinking about as we've been building building this startup. And um, the other thing that we've thought or, or realised is, well, there's a huge ecosystem out there of people that do want to support these mums because, you know, the stats that I talked about earlier is a phenomenon called the motherhood penalty which you know, I'm sure you've heard of. And so this sense of like, yeah, when, when women enter into motherhood, they are in a way penalised when it comes to their careers. Um, but we at Mumble Me, like what we want to flip this into is instead of it being a motherhood penalty, we want it to be a motherhood advantage. So what we're saying is, well, being a mum should be an advantage to your career because you develop lots of new skills. Um, you know, your multitasking superpowers are amazing. You're more efficient. You become more empathetic, as I mentioned, you know, the things that I've gone through and the way that I interact with um, my peers or the people that I, my clients and all of that, it's different. And there's a set, increased sense of maturity around all of that. And so like, well, I've got so much to offer. These mums have so much to offer these businesses. And so not only do the mums need to realise that for themselves, but the businesses need to realise that there's an advantage in hiring mums because when you're really optimizing their skills to the best potential, you can get great business outcomes. And by the way, these mums are really loyal um, and, you know, they're going to be super efficient and do a great job. And so, like, it's a win-win for everyone. Um, and so, anyway, so, yeah, like, so through through Mumble Me, this is what we're hoping to achieve. And I think um, 2024 and beyond is where uh, particularly with the government releasing some of these stats recently like I'm, I'm quite excited about the fact that there's going to be more energy and more focus around this um, mm. at the national level hopefully and, and um, so you know, ultimately we just want mums to be able to to choose um, you know if they do want to go back to the workforce if they do want to expand um, and sort of progress in their careers that they can do that they can choose to do that um, and if they don't want to, that's completely fine as well. So mm. um, anyway, so that that's um, a little bit more about what I'm looking forward to in terms of 2024 and continuing to build that particular um, passion project or business. Yeah, I love it. I love how you're trying to address the motherhood penalty versus the fatherhood promotion through Mumble Me. How, what are you doing for the moms though on a practical level? Yeah, so um I mean, for, for us, like the platform is about connecting the mums to jobs. Mm. Um, and what we've realised through our research in the last year or so and talking to lots of different mums, lots of employers is, yeah, there's, and I think I started to mention this before, but I didn't quite finish my point, which was there's heaps of people in the ecosystem. Like you've got people that are supporting the mums, you've got people that are supporting the businesses, but there's not, there's still a gap in terms of actually connecting them. Mm. Um, and so... In a way, like I think all these programs are amazing and they're great, mm. but not only do we need to help these women with training and coaching and all of that, but it's like, how do you then plug that in, plug them back into the workforce, but then by the way, not just drop them into the workforce and expect them to kind of to swim. Like you kind of, 
go, well, how do we support you? Like now that you're back in this particular company, like mm-hmm. what what are things that we need to change structurally to make sure both you and your coworkers and everyone in our workplace can work in the way that, and it's not just flexible working, like flexible working is a big part of that, but it's like, well, okay, I know that sometimes, you know, you'll, you'll, you might need to, you might need to finish at 4.30 or 5 in order to go pick up your child before six o'clock before daycare closes. So what does that look like? Um, or like, you know, can we modify, is it about your hours? Is it that we, um, as I mentioned before, is it about um, having your job as an outcomes-based role so mm-hmm. that it's not about the number of hours you put in, but it's about the output. So like that, that, so that's the kind of stuff we're working on and we're not doing it by ourselves. We're working with the different players in the ecosystem that we've identified. We call them our activators. So we've got our job activators who work with the businesses and also our mum activators who, um, you know, lead some of these mothers groups and all of that. And so together, like we, we're partnering together to go, how do we address this motherhood penalty issue? How do we flip it and turn it into a motherhood advantage? And mm-hmm. so in the coming year, we're going to be running a series of hackathons um, to kind of go, well, how do we break down these issues to work through what is it that we can do to tangibly address? Mm. But ultimately, the goal is like connecting these women to jobs because there's no point in doing a bunch of programs and they don't end up in jobs. Mm. Um, So, yeah, so we really want to be reaching sort of practical um, outcomes. Um, Yeah. So it sounds like you're um, trying to address the issue from the employer side in that you're trying to make it work on their side. How can we reinvent the role? How can we make it work with uh, stay-at-home mom or working moms? Could you talk me through the journey process? Say, for example, I'm a stay-at-home mom and I'd love to go back to work. What would my experience be like through Mumble Me? Yeah, sure. Um, so through firstly through our activators. So like and so you might as a stay-at-home mum, you might find out about Mumble Me through um a mother's community. Through this podcast. Group, yeah. Previous, yeah, for example. Um, through this podcast, and then you go, Oh, okay, cool. I want to sign up. And then we can introduce you to our activators who provide different support, whether it be coaching or whatever, right? Um to support you in your journey and you know there's people that can help you with your resumes and all of that and by the way like they're not part of mumble me they're just people that partner with us right and so Mm. you can choose whatever you like and those Mm. those are called our activators and so on the other side we're working with businesses to say how do we like you know here's the talent that we have and this is this mum with these skills and these are her availabilities and um, this is a sort of role that she's after. This is a level of experience. And so we present that and, you know, match, basically match that mum to the jobs. Um, but on the other side with the jobs, like we have already been doing work in the background through our job activators, for example, um, HR strategists that help these workplaces with redesigning roles, as I mentioned Um and so it's ensuring, well, that's that workplace and that role, is it really suited for a mum or mm. is it just, you know, are you just saying that it will be suitable mm. for a mum? So really having these people, again, it's working with our activators to sort of vet that these businesses are appropriate and these roles are appropriate. So, um, and they're a mix of small to medium-sized businesses as well as larger businesses. So, um 
yeah, so that's how we would sort of practically do that. And we don't charge the mums ever. Um, so it's free for them to sign up. It's free for the employers to sign up. And so ultimately, we, yeah, we just want to empower these mums to go, hey, actually, yeah, I can give this a go. Um, because what, what the other thing we discovered is like the mums are unlikely to sign or to, to put them forward for a role unless they have someone else say them say to them, hey, Jane, you'll be great for this role, mm. right? But then so um, when you have that sort of extra dose of support, then you apply and then, yeah, and then, you know, through the different partnerships and different things that we have, then you have the right support to go, hey, maybe you need to do your resume in a slightly different way. Um, and this is how you, you know, then you present yourself and, you know, a coach through that process. And again, like a, each mum will have different needs. And so for us, we have some of our activators are matrescence coaches. So people that um, are wanting to transition back to work after having a child. Some of them are just, you know, mums that might've been mums for a long time, but they're just wanting to change careers or think about things a little bit differently. And so, or even there's um, one of our activators um, supports divorced people. And so, you know, helping them work through sort of their relationship breakups and all of that. So that adds extra complexity to an individual who might be yeah. thinking about how do I get a job to support my family as well as, you know, work through some of this, these really hard, you know, life issues and heart issues. Um, so yeah, like, so yeah, there's just like different, um, different support and different activators depending on what these mums need. Um, but ultimately, again, our platform is about just connecting the mums to jobs. Um, yeah. Yeah. Rather than you kind of, you know, on a traditional job platform, you kind of just sign up and then you might never hear back. You get rejected. You don't know why, but we just want to be having more of this ecosystem and support system around these mums um, to, mm. to increase their chances of success as much as possible. Mm. Okay. Perfect. So for all uh, stay-at-home moms uh, listening right now who wants to go back to work or any employers who are looking for talent, sustainable talent, how do they get involved? Yeah, check out mumbleme.com.au. Um, and it's not just stay-at-home moms. It's actually, it's any mum that might already be working, but you, you know, might want to consider other career opportunities. Like we want to hear from you as well. Um so yeah, like basically anyone that's interested in career opportunities, yeah. um, please, um, please take a look at our website. Um, there's going to be more coming in 2024. Hopefully we'll be improving um, our platform. Um, you know, we're a fairly young startup, um, but yeah. And, and we, similarly with employers that are interested in or have skill shortage and have job um, hiring requirements, talk to us because we'll love to. Um, connect you with skilled mums that um, have a lot to offer um, mm. so yeah awesome perfect I love your analogy of filling your lives jar with the important stones first and particularly your involvement with church I wonder if I can ask has there been a specific moment in your life where you were just tried really hard and you've had to go back to your roots and that is your Christianity values. Without going into the specifics, how have your values helped you through that process? 
Oh, I would say like it's a continuous process and like it, you know, it's as recent as like even in the last year or last few months, there's just been a lot going on with life and, um, you know, constant challenges at work or things outside your control um, or like constant illnesses, um, daycare illnesses that my son um, gets and then it affects, you know, my husband and I. And so life sometimes is a constant battle um, and it's easy when you focus on the problem and you get stressed about it, you get down about it and it impacts you. And it's almost like, oh my God, I just can't keep going. Like, why do I do all this for? Like, why? But then when I then go back to, you know, my faith and my, you know, my values, and then I remember like there's a higher, there's a higher purpose. Like for me in that context of my faith, you know, God's got it under control. And even though I can't see what on earth is like, how this is going to like, you know, somehow resolve itself. Like I trust in that broader, bigger picture. Um, um, you know, God's got it under control. So then I, like when I kind of take that focus and lift up my eyes and lift up that focus to, in my context and faith, God, um, Jesus, then everything else kind of fades away um, because you're no longer focused on this massive problem that's in front mm. of you. But it has to be like, I won't pretend that it's just a, you know, one, like, you know, you kind of just complete fix. Like it's a continuous, um, in the in the Christian world, we kind of talk about this con like continuous surrender, like this mm. sense of like, oh God, I have this, like, I'm anxious about this mm. um, or like, you know, I'm really worried about this or like, this is just really getting me down. I can't, I don't, I can't muster, mm. like I'm at the end of myself and the end of my strength. Mm. And that's when when I focus my energies and focus like to God and go, actually, I'm just going to rest and trust that everything's going to be okay. And then often it does work out because it's, it takes off that sort of anxiety from that level. The burden. The emotional burden. burden. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Interesting. Any specific verse that you go to? Yeah, so Psalm 23 is probably one of my favourites and it talks about um, God leading us by um, still waters and, like, it's this picture of peace. And, you know, the world is so chaotic and there's just so much going on. There's global conflict. There's, like, your daily battles with, like, people um, and illness and or even, like, you know, interactions with people or your family or whatever it is and it's that picture of like God is a shepherd that like you know I'm a sheep and like God is a shepherd that leads me and guides me by the still waters um and it's it's calm and like you know I, I get this sense of serenity um and that my anxiety is sort of taken away um so yeah yeah and there's also this sense, and in that same verse, it talk, this same passage, it talks about how he anoints your head with oil, like your blessings overflow. It's this sense of like when you trust in God, he, like he's got you, like he's this father figure um, or, you know, in that passage, like a shepherd that looks after his sheep, um, that he's got you, like you don't have to worry 
and then in, in the, like you know being a parent you kind of go well of course like when you're a parent and you've got a child you're going to look after your child you're not just going to let them you know live and die you know by themselves and so even though me as the child or as the sheep or, or whatever that you know that role is I kind of I don't understand what's happening in the moment and I'm just you know frazzled up in my own world and I'm sort of you know looking at being overwhelmed by different issues in my life but when I realize well actually daddy god's got it under control he sees the bigger picture he knows that this is just a little pebble a little stone um you know you know when I my, when my son kind of like loses it at the like you know throws his terrible two tantrums and stuff um for the for the smallest reason but then you as the parent you go hang on there's nothing you know everything's okay um and so in the same way it's sort of trusting for me it's trusting God that he's he's gonna pull me through whatever this is um mm. yeah and, and and I say this in a particularly it's like 2023 has been a particularly difficult year um in the professional context and um, for people in my industry so yeah like kind of going well okay well things are not going according to what I planned or what I want but there's a higher purpose and there's a broader broader reason and somehow in the future I'll work that out and and it's okay like it really is okay um yeah. and so instead to yeah to count your blessings and to know that hey like no matter what happens I've still got the core the anchor for me being God being my family um and that's really all I need like even if everything else fades away or awesome. things don't work out but yeah anyway yeah that's yeah. the way that I think about it Thank you. Thank you for sharing. No problem. Um, so I'd like to go back in time, um, maybe to a point where you were experiencing <clears throat> fertility challenges and things were just really, really hard and you can't really see the light of day beyond all of the gloom. Um, knowing all of the wealth of knowledge that you know now and the wisdom that you carry through, what one advice would you tell that? younger version of Jess? Oh, it was like, it was actually really hard. It was like, I remember just being in tears all the time, actually, at that point. Um, and maybe this goes back to the faith thing about, like, I had my Bible study group praying for me and my church friends praying for me. Um, and like, sometimes with these like medical issues, like you can't, you just don't know. And it goes over like a really long space of time, right? And so it's not like, oh, suddenly it's fixed. Like it's just, mm. there's this open, like unknown yeah. and uncertainty. Um, and I, there was this one one song, it's called The Blessing that I used to listen to. And um, I remember just, you know, going for a walk in the North Sydney area near where I live and just staring out into the water, just listening to that song and going, God is blessing you. And he's blessing not just you, but your family, your children's children. And I remember going, I don't, can't even, I might not even be able to have a kid. Like, God, how the hell are you telling me that you're going to bless my children and my children's children? And just, yeah, being in tears and kind of just being really consumed by all of that. But again, like that sense of that faith and going, hang on, that's, it's whatever happens. And if we don't end up having kids, it's okay. 
if you know some kind of like this medical stuff blows up it's okay um but yeah like so I think you know again now that I've come through life is continuing like continuously challenging in other ways but you kind of go now that I've come through the other side I kind of go well what would I have told myself like I, I guess it's still like I think like I wouldn't change like people we, we as humans react to adversity in that way and like you that's the way that we interact with it um but I, I don't think I would have done anything different but I think yeah maybe like in that heartbreak not let it get to me as like devastatingly so um and just kind of trusting a little bit more no matter how what happens it's okay um because somehow you'll get through the end of it and you've you know your family and your friends will support you um yeah yeah yep. trusting yep 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 awesome uh one question that I always ask all moms is uh what's your alpha mama song well I don't really have one song but like I mean it'll be it'll probably be one of the Christian worship songs um like whether it be that blessing song that I talked about um or like recently I'm just like re-listening to some Christian songs that I listened to when I was in my 20s in university um there's a um there's a guy called Tim Hughes he's got a couple of just nice worship songs and so I put that on um and it kind of I just let it kind of wash over me it's kind of this sense of like that peace um that I talked about um when I'm having a stressful day or Mm. you know anxious about something so Mm. okay awesome all right Jess well thank you so much for spending your time with us I really appreciate it for all of moms who are listening right now who are struggling with finding their identity at work or balancing life you know that work and life fit if there was just one advice that you could share what would that be Hmm. that's hard there's so many things right um I think it's this sense of like don't worry like it'll be okay like don't let these things get to you Mm. don't let don't be too hard on yourself like life is going to happen and sometimes life just doesn't go according to plan you're already doing your best um so just take it one step at a time um and I think all of us muster more strength and skill than we can ever (laughs) imagine yeah yeah we're capable of much more than what we can imagine but it's just like looking past that bubble of anxiety or whatever is worrying you and just go let's just take it one step at a time whether it be fitting in the big things first and letting the rest sort out itself one step at a time and you'll get through it beautiful all right jess thank you so much i hope you'll feel better soon and all the best with the second thank you so much thanks for having me and it's been a pleasure to chat through a number of topics that like you know probably went a lot deeper than than i expected but i'm really um yeah definitely happy to share it and um the listeners out there feel free to connect with me um you know dm me and i'll I'll be really happy to make some new friends as well oh great all right where can they find you 
LinkedIn. Um, either that's through LinkedIn, um, Jessica Wong Saunderson. Um, yeah, that's probably the easiest. I think LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, and of course, yeah, check out mumbleme.com.au as well if you're interested in finding out more about the startup. But um, uh, yeah, besides from, you know, the startup and um, being a mum, as I mentioned, I have lots of different interests. So I'm definitely happy to catch up for virtual coffees, physical coffees um, and swap stories and ideas as well. <laughs> Awesome. All right. Thanks, Jess. Thank you. Thanks so much. See you then. This episode of The Breadwinning Mums was produced by me, Jane Lim, and our theme music was produced by Sam McNally. We recorded this episode on the lens of dark people who have passed their parenting story for generations. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and thank them for caring for country. Connect with us through LinkedIn or Instagram at breadwinningmums. Until next time.